All right, good morning. Uh, this is Driving Theology, and my name is Mike, and I'm running a little bit late today. Uh, yeah, just a few minutes late. Trying to get on the road here, get going. And now I'm behind a propane truck on a two-lane road. That kind of sucks. Maybe he'll veer off at some point. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, it is January. This is my second uh, time to make a podcast in January this year. This is the second podcast of January is how I should be saying that. Uh, and yeah, it turns out that my family did indeed have uh, the COVID-19 virus. I don't, I don't know what you're doing here first. You stop doing it. Uh, and so I, I think I told you last week I got sick on New Year's Eve. And I was sure I was sick by New Year's Day. I had a fever. Uh, And then I was feverish for, I don't know, probably a total of about 48 to 60 hours, something like that. Then my fever went down, but I was still pretty sick. In fact, I haven't fully recovered yet. I still have a little congestion. It's been a little bit over two weeks, but I feel fine. It's just that, you know, there's a a little gunk shows up in my throat uh, a couple times a day. Still, you know, you can tell my sinuses are probably still a little bit stopped up. Anyway, I didn't get tested because I didn't feel like the the uh, symptoms matched what I thought COVID was supposed to be. And uh, anyway, long story short, my wife and father-in-law also came down about a day later. Uh, with similar symptoms, similar fever. And my father-in-law was finally tested probably 10 days later, and he tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, he's now negative and fine, and, and uh, that all turned out well. Um, for him, he's, he seems to be just fine. And we're all much better. Um, but it turns out it's, there is a possibility that it was COVID-19. Um, which is kind of interesting. I was wondering if and when it would ever visit our house because we seem to be uh, somewhat immune to it. Uh, But that was not the case. (laughs) It finally got us. So after what? Uh, Let's see. It showed up in 2020, in the early part of 2020. 21, 22. So two, wait. One was one full year. Twenty-two was almost three years. It finally made it to our house, and I got to tell you, you know, maybe it's because I I did get a couple uh, shots. Uh, all of us did. It, it's fairly mild. Like I I, it just felt like the flu. Nothing more than the flu, really. It was different than the flu. It wasn't exactly the same. Uh, I had a, uh, I had more total symptoms, I guess, than I usually get with the flu. Um, 
I mean a greater number of symptoms, not more severe symptoms. The fever never reached that high. You know, I had body aches and headaches, but they weren't the worst I've ever had. The, the, with the flu, it was much worse. But again, it could be because I got, you know, vaccinated that it was less. Anyway, um, yeah. That, uh, <clears throat> that is the case. Uh, it seems like what we had was probably COVID-19. But it's gone from the house now. So my wife never... She, she got tested as well. She never tested positive. Uh, but I don't think we can really trust the tests at this point too much. I think maybe we get some false positives and maybe some false negatives still yet. Um, anyway, uh, here we are. What is the date? It is January 18th. And man, what is going on? Um... I got to tell you, uh, as far as, you know, theological stuff and spiritual stuff, there's not a lot going on in my life right now. I'm, I'm, uh, working a few more hours, uh, this year than I have before. That takes a little bit more, uh, time and energy. Um, the thing I'm doing most religiously right now is following the Boston Celtics. <laughs> Probably, if you've listened to this podcast, you might know that I'm a big, uh, nearly lifelong Boston Celtics fan. I didn't, I wasn't born into it, but I finally found the Celtics when I was in junior high or high school and have been a fan ever since, uh, especially of uh, the player, player Larry Bird. Uh, I was a big fan of his in the uh, 80s. But, yeah, the Celtics are rolling this year. Tatum at 51 yesterday. So, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying following them and watching some of the games. Well, I watch all the Celtics games, more or less. Unless they have a, a big loss to somebody that is inconsequential. I, don't, I may not watch it, but... Uh, yeah, so caught a Celtics game yesterday. Um, well, like I said, I'm working a few more classes. Our teacher, Bethany... Uh, is out on uh, maternity leave um, and so we're picking up the slack, taking her classes so that she can uh, safely deliver well, safely carry to term her twins uh, and then deliver uh, maybe sometime in March um, so yeah, that's going on, I'm also preparing for a trip to New York City in March which is coming up uh, really soon. Um, uh, and yeah, there's some stuff going on with that. So because I'm going to March, I wanted to take an extra week or so and go by and and spend some time with my family in St. Louis. And so the, the trip is with a chorus group and it's a, it's a tour, I guess, officially, officially it's a tour. Um, and so we, I guess they give us some kind of a special rate because it's a group. Um, but uh, I'm asking the tour to allow me to, to fly a little early, go see my family, and then meet everybody in New York for the rest of the tour. Tour all happens in New York. It's not really a tour. It's just it's flights and, and hotels. 
Anyway, they're really gouging me, wanting an extra, you know, it's probably going to end up being my guess, something like 1800 bucks. <laughs> an extra 1800 bucks to, to basically add a domestic U.S. flight to my, to my um, itinerary, which is ridiculous. It's, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I'm, yeah, anyway, I'm kind of upset about that, so I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with all that, and it's just all very frustrating, anyway, um, this idea that when, when a corporation has you where they want you, that they can basically charge whatever they want and you have to pay it, really irks me. That, that kind of just unkind business practice um, is really upsetting. And I don't like giving into it. Uh, so, so far I'm kind of fighting it. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, the flight, if, if I were to get, if I were to buy that flight myself, say fly to New York, that, that flight from, even if I flew from New York to St. Louis and back a round trip, it's like, you know, 300 bucks. It only takes an hour and a half, two hours. I mean, it's not very far. It's just crazy. It's just, it's just nuts. So yeah, I'm kind of fighting it. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Uh, and that's going to have to happen this week uh, sometime. I'm going to have to figure that out with them. But, yeah, I'm just not very happy about the whole situation. Uh, but it is what it is. That's what big corporations do. That's what they can do. And whatever they can do, they will do. Uh, all for money. So, yeah. I guess I'll try to negotiate with them. Just see what happens. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, uh, so, uh, like I said, yeah. Maybe this is also what churches do. You know, churches, the institutional church has become more or less a big, uh, ooh, I'm stuck in a really bad spot here. I may have to back up. I have to back up. There we go. Okay, You know, big churches, in a lot of ways, are like a big corporation. Um, they, they make, they, they have a way of being in the world, or, uh, sorry, no, this is not the right way. They have a way of operating uh, with their people, right? They, they have a way that they operate in general. There's, there are general uh, rules and regulations and customs uh, that everybody must follow. Uh, and the people that don't fit into those uh, situations. The people that 
uh, for, for whatever reason are unable to um, adhere to that structure are somewhat marginalized or uh, you know maybe taken advantage of in the, in the past um, we know that the uh, the Catholic Church which of course is the biggest uh, institutional church there is uh, in the past has done some really weird things uh, and taken advantage of people who are in uh, I guess you could say a sinful situation. I guess sin is the way that we would um, label people not adhering to rules and regulations in a church. Uh, and they, they would, you know, accept money to pay for those sins. So there was a, there was a system of basically buying your way into heaven, buying your salvation. And they called them, uh, what is the word, indulgences, right? You, you, you basically paid for it, an indulgence, uh, which means even though, let's say you have a second wife, or uh, even though you um, did this or that bad thing against the rules, uh, you could, by giving a donation uh, to the church, uh, purchase forgiveness, more or less. And this system existed um, for a long time, and it was kind of a, an institution, in, inside of an institution in a way, the institution of indulgences. And I think this is one of the things that Martin Luther uh, disliked, um, and some, one of the things that may have been a spark to the um, Reformation movement. Uh, and so my, my question to myself right now, what I'm thinking is, is there, is there something that happens today that is, it works out to be a similar thing, uh, even though perhaps we wouldn't call it that. Uh, and I have to say, yes, I, I think it, I'm pretty sure it does exist on some on some level today even you know there there are there are ways that people uh find uh or feel if you will forgiveness um based on their actions one of the ways is baptism right so we tell people if you're baptized your sins are washed away right so we get into the water thinking that what the water did was wash away all of our sins and now we are free of sin. That somehow baptism is a, is a magical uh, get out of hell free card, right? And then as long as you live a good life from that point, uh, you, you, you will be fine. And depending on the church and the tradition, uh, I think they would define that differently. Uh, some people would say, well, yeah, your sins are washed away uh, at baptism. And then, uh, and then what, what happens is uh, you're now under grace. Because you uh, trusted Jesus, you are now under his grace 
and your sins are perpetually forgiven from this point on. Uh, and that's, that's the once saved, always saved um, kind of tradition. And there, there are those, right? That once you're saved, you can't become unsaved. Uh, now, that's not, that's not taking advantage of money. That's not taking money from anybody. But it is, in a sense, because baptism is seen in many traditions as also the, the way to become a member of a church. And members are expected... Uh, to give tithes and offerings, right? And those tithes and offerings are important uh, so that you can pay for uh, the building, you can pay for the salaries of the staff, uh, you can keep the lights on, etc. And hopefully also some money will go to benevolence, you know, feeding the hungry or clothing the, the naked or, or whatever, uh, as well as missions, right? Spreading the gospel abroad. <laughs> Um, but those tithes are are necessary to keep to keep institutional church uh, rolling. Without tithes and offerings, uh, the church would cease to exist as we know it. Um, and so that's how that's how it's kept. Um, that's how it, it's it's um, that that's the oil. That keeps the machinery uh, running smooth, right? It's the tithes and offerings. And so in a sense, it's a little bit less direct as it once was, perhaps. Uh, but I think it, it may work out to be the same thing. And there are other ways that we take advantage of the rich in religion as well. I think the rich uh, probably have the most guilt, uh, feel the most guilty uh, rich people who are also Christians because to become rich there are certain ways you have to be in the world in a capitalist society and they're not all uh, or not any of them Christ-like uh, really and I think people instinctively know this and feel feel somewhat guilty about being rich now I say that realizing that you know in the, in the scope of uh, the whole world I'm a rich person in Japan, I'm not a rich person, but in the scope of the world, you know, if you take all the population of, of every country and put it together, I would be in, in an upper echelon for sure. I get that. <clears throat> um, at least for now, I think I'll, I'll be falling, <laughs> falling into poverty at one point. I'm afraid, but uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, but. Um, big institutions, whether they are corporations, churches, uh, educational institutions, what have you, they need to exist on a status quo and they're going to uh, have to marginalize some people. Because if they didn't, uh, it would, it would be somewhat chaotic, right? It's just how it, it's just how it works. I'm not saying there isn't a way to be better, uh, and I think a lot of churches try to be better, but I think that's just the nature of the beast, if you will. Uh, uh, pun intended. <laughs> uh, I think that's the nature of the beast, and so yeah, I'm. I feel like I'm being taken advantage of um, by a. Uh, 
what do you call it, a, a travel agency corporation because I want to do something a little bit different. I want to go uh, kiss my mom and, and, and hug my brother and see my sisters. And, you know, there, there are things that I need to do as a family man. And when you live so far away, uh, of course, it's going to be expensive to do that. Um, but why do they have to make it so much more expensive? That, that, that's what drives me crazy. It, it just drives me crazy. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. <coughs> Pardon me. But again, I think that's the nature of the beast, and I think that's my one of my problems with institutional church. There are people on the margins, people who have uh, perhaps had traumatic experiences with uh, big churches, uh, people who who don't have the income to be a, a member of uh, upstanding position in a in a big church, uh, people who. Uh, come from a, an environment of, of chaos and poverty and want uh, who, who perhaps don't fit in. People who uh, are addicted for various reasons. Uh, people who have mental health issues. People who have medical health issues. Uh, there are lots of people who don't seem to fit into uh, today's church. So, yeah, um, I don't know what to, what else to say about that. Uh, but what I do want to say is that Jesus stepped into a similar situation. That when Jesus came to Earth, uh, and especially what, he, what we know of his, his time of ministry, the last three years of his life or so, uh, he came into an institution, right, which was uh, Judaism, the Jewish religion, uh, in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And he stepped into there, but the people he uh, loved and ministered to first were not the people of upstanding, uh, what do you call that? Not the upstanding citizens, that's not the word I'm looking for, but uh, not the people in good standing, but the people who are on the margins, the people who had been marginalized by big religion, right? The, the people who uh, were demon-possessed, a.k.a. mentally sick. Uh, the people who were diseased and deformed. Uh, in some cases, the foreigners. The people who were caught in uh, sins of various, various things. The laborers, right? The workers. Um, women. Uh, children, in many cases. Uh, not the not the religiously not the religiously pious. He went right to the people that the the pious were marginalizing. Those are the people 
that he ministered to. And that's telling, right? It, it, it should tell us a whole lot because there are those same, same people on the margins of big religion today. And they'll always exist there because big religion is the problem. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> big religion is a problem. Of course it's a problem. Now, sometimes it comes up with solutions, but it doesn't stop being a problem just because it, it comes up with a solution to a problem now and again. It's not how it works. These beastly, entrenched, self-serving, self-indulging systems of government, of business, of religion, what have you, they hurt people. They hurt people and they don't want to help people until those people conform uh, to their standards of membership. Now, people do get helped. I'm not saying nobody gets helped. Um, but they're certainly not accepted with open arms, by and large. The systems, the existence of the systems themselves push people to the margins. They embrace a certain kind of person and they alienate a certain kind of person. And I just don't think, in fact, I think, I think Jesus instituted the church, if I can say it like that, to be the institution that goes to the marginalized. That's the whole purpose of it. That's the whole purpose of, of, Christ's example that he lived in front of the apostles and the disciples to show them that their mission is to the marginalized. It's to save the people who are uh, institution, um, institutionally battered, maybe is the right word. There were people in those days who were, who were hurt by empire by the Roman Empire, uh, by the religious empire, the Jews, um, and every everything else, everything in between, right? I mean, let that sink in. If the church exists to serve the marginalized, then certainly the church should not be creating marginalized people and it should not be ignoring marginalized people it should be just the opposite and in order to do that we can't be big religion we, we can't be just another big organization and I think that's possibly why why Jesus and and the Apostles, talked so much in terms of familial relationships. Um, it doesn't mean that a family can't be become a marginalizing institution. They can. And some, some, some families do. Um, but I think it's because they, 
adhere to the patterns of the world instead of the patterns of what a good family is. And what a good family is is what a good church is. Uh, and I think one of the reasons that we use all of this family language, like God is our Father, uh, you know, we have brothers and sisters, uh, we are the family of God, we are the children of God, is to, is to keep things more organically based, to keep things going more like a family. But the family, a good family, right? A, a, a healthy family is the model for the church. Not a corporate boardroom. Certainly not a monarchical government. Certainly not a military. It's the family. It doesn't mean that, yeah, I, yeah people are going to say, well, Paul used military um, references. It's true. Paul did. Paul was a man of his his time, right? He did use in one place that I know of, uh, where he says, "Put on the full armor of God." But if you look closely, what he's talking about there is not relationships within the church, um, but how to spiritually uh, equip and arm yourself. To do spiritual battle, not not physical battle. Um, yes, there's some master-slave metaphors as well. I understand this, um, but I still will say the main pattern, the main thrust, um, is a, an organic familial relationship in the church. And this is also why Christ is called the head of the church, right? We want Christ, the only hierarchy we have is Christ and then families, right? Christ is the center of the church, the head of the church, uh, and then we as brothers and sisters, uh, with him as our father, uh, go about ministering to the marginalized of the world. Um, yeah, I just don't, I don't know, I don't know that the Bible allows us to have any other ideas about that. When I say the Bible allows, I'm going to ask that to be stricken from the record. I don't think the Bible was written to allow or disallow really anything. The Bible is there to allow us, to help us, <laughs> to help us connect to the universal Christ to be a, a guide or a tool to bring us closer, but not to be a taskmaster uh, or a slave driver uh, or a judge. Not in, not in the human sense, at least. Um, yeah. You know, Jesus even said, I have not come for the righteous, and I think that was a little, I think he was saying this a little tongue in cheek. Uh, because true righteousness is, you know, helping those in need. But he said, I have not come for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. And I think this was, he was using those terms in the way that they use the terms. 
they would have said that the people who are sick, who are poor, are unrighteous. Obviously, they're unrighteous, and that's why they're under God's curse. That was kind of the prevailing uh, thinking of the time. Um, and so I think he was using their own language um, to make a point uh, that he's come, he, he's come for the marginalized people, right? For the people most in need. Sorry, I'm having a little water here. Yeah, um, when you are taken advantage of by a big institution, they're really, it just doesn't feel anything but bad. Um, when you're stonewalled, um, when, when they know they've got you and there's really not much uh, you can do to oppose them and you have no recourse. Um, it's dehumanizing, I guess is another word. Uh, and so if, if you are a person who is uh, still in a traditional or institutional church, uh, I would ask you to keep your eyes open. Um, how, many, how many marginalized people are coming into your gatherings and how are they treated when they come? Are they embraced? Are they welcomed? Uh, are they treated with respect? Are they um, given dignity? Are they treated as humans? Or are they treated as, as inconvenient and um, untouchable in the bad sense? And, you know, are they whisked, whisked away to be uh, taken care of behind closed doors? Uh, are they sent away to other institutions, right? It says a lot. I mean, it really speaks volumes on how, um, how well churches are able to deal with people who don't fit their uh, cookie-cutter membership mentality um, <clears throat> yeah so um, I guess I found something to talk about today after all the question is what do you you know when you are in that situation what do you do about it uh, when you feel like you are being taken advantage of just because you lack power, influence, <clears throat> position, title. Uh, and if you think about it, that was Christ. I think eventually he was giving it, given a title because of the way he was leading people and people were following him eventually. He was able to, um, to find people who would follow him and, and course by his example I'm sure it was difficult at first but he did it and people believed him and followed him uh, um, I don't know like right now I'm, I feel like I'm being taken advantage of and I guess we call that oppression in some sense of the word although I will never claim that I'm being oppressed like other people have been oppressed in the history of the world but 
it feels like that to me, you know, that I just don't have any recourse. Except to pay all the money they want me to. I feel like it's extortion. That's what it feels like, extortion. We've got you where we, we want you, therefore you're just going to have to pay. <clears throat> I don't know. Do you fight? Do you give in? Uh, what's the what's the what's the Christ way to deal with that? I don't know. I hope I figure it out. But I am at work, and I'm gonna have to say goodbye to you, fine people. Uh, I uh, yeah, love you guys, and uh, thank you for watching, as always, and listening. I guess listening is more correct. Thanks. Bye-bye.